Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 11. That's on page 1,648 in the Bibles provided for you. Uh, a little introduction here. A few months back, uh, during the season of Easter, we did a sermon series that we called Backwards Faith, where we looked at how the Christian faith is almost never something that is predictable, and it is almost never something that is linear. And we talked about how people of faith very often deal with things like doubt, like doubting the whole thing and whether or not it's true. And people of faith often deal with things like disappointment, like coming to realize that God isn't who we thought he was or who we thought he should be. And so sometimes in the life of faith, it feels like we're taking steps backward in our faith. And that is all part of having faith. Um, That's what we talked about during Easter. And now, uh, during this season, for the next few weeks, we're following the lectionary into 2 Corinthians, and we're doing a series we're calling Forward Faith. So if backwards faith was something of a deconstruction, this is something of a reconstruction. And we're asking ourselves, well, what can we expect from the Christian faith? What can we put roots down in? What can we expect if we're going to follow Jesus? Um, uh, How can we have a faith that makes sense with our experience of the world? Okay? Um, This text that we're about to read, for me, is one of the best and most important texts for anyone who feels like they may have been going backwards in their faith and is ready to begin to move forward in their faith. This is a text for anyone who feels like they may have outgrown their faith. Anyone who feels like they've outgrown a faith that they had maybe 10 or 20 years ago. This is a text for anyone who needs a new frame of understanding what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live Christianly. So maybe you were told at different parts in your points in your life that being a Christian meant believing in certain right things. Maybe you were told it meant arguing for certain truths. Maybe you were told it was, it was about condemning certain people or obeying certain moral codes. If that kind of black and white thinking is not doing it for you anymore, I invite you to 2 Corinthians. Okay? What does it look like for us to have a gracious, forward-looking, forward-thinking, attractive, practical faith? This is a text... I'm really building it up, aren't I? <laughs> this is, I'm talking about the text, not my sermon, okay? This is a text that can give you a frame for that. This is a text that can give you a frame for that kind of faith. And if you want that frame, and if you want that faith, it's going to take a lot more than the next 15 minutes of me talking, but it's here, okay? It's here. So, let's read it. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 11. Listen to God's word. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. 
We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here we go. Ready? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. So I said last week um, that Paul, the author of what we just read, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians to a group of people that is not particularly fond of him. Um, And one of the things that he's trying to do is he's trying to get these folks to understand the heart of the gospel. He's trying to get them to understand the white-hot center of the gospel. He's trying to get, to get them to understand the core truth of Christianity because their understanding has been compromised by some other teachers. And those other teachers were telling these people, no, 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 no. The gospel is all about you. Christianity is all about you. Christianity is about what you need, what you want, and making you happy. And it's not. They're wrong. But, as we all know, once you become convinced that something is all about you, it's really hard to have your mind changed about that. So Paul is looking for a new frame. He's looking for a new way to explain to these people what the gospel is and how Christianity works, and what it's all about. And he decides to use the frame of reconciliation. Reconciliation is what God has been doing since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden. Maybe you know the story. God told Adam and Eve that they could eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden except the one tree. And then, of course, because they're human, and since it was the one tree that they could not eat from, it slowly began to be the only tree that they wanted to eat from. And so they did. 
And when they did that, what they experienced immediately in every aspect of their life is something called alienation. Alienation. Alienation is, is what people experience when they are separated from their true community and their true selves. I'll say that again. Alienation is what people experience when they are separated from their true community and their true selves. So when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they immediately experienced all kinds of alienation. Here's a short list of the kinds of alienation they experienced. They experienced social alienation, even though it was only the two of them. They looked at each other, and they figured out that they were naked. And their nakedness had previously never really bothered them. But suddenly, they became extremely aware of the possible judgment of their partner. And so they ran away from each other. What will he think if he sees me like this? What will she say if I don't protect myself from her? They experienced immediately social alienation. And then related to that, they experienced psychological alienation. They were instantly ashamed. Ashamed of what? They were instantly ashamed of their bodies and everything that their bodies represented. They were ashamed of their bodies. They were ashamed of their genders. They were insecure about their relationships. They were insecure about their vulnerabilities. They were no longer comfortable with who they were. They became psychologically alienated. They ran away from each other. And then finally, um, they became theologically alienated or spiritually alienated. It's maybe the most heartbreaking verse in the whole Bible. Um, after they ate the fruit, they heard the footsteps of God in the garden and they ran from the sound. They ran away. It was an involuntary decision. It was an unconscious decision. They heard the sound of God nearing them, and they took off in the exact opposite direction. They, they were afraid of God. They were afraid of the one who had created them. They were afraid of the one who had loved them into being. They were theologically alienated, spiritually alienated. Now, to some degree... We can trace back everything that corrupts our lives. Everything that we struggle against, every social ill, every sin that so easily entangles, we can trace back to this original alienation. This alienation has affected everything. It's like, uh, like drops of ink in a glass of water. It just spreads, and it covers everything. And suddenly, everything is poisoned. Everything is affected. Uh, our relationships with our families are affected. Our relationship with the earth is affected. The relationship between genders, the relationship between races and cultures, the relationship between our true selves and our false selves, the, the, the person that we're trying to be and the person that, we're, that we actually are inside. Alienation is everywhere. It's in the air that we breathe. But, Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, in verses 15 and 16, he says, Because Christ has died and was raised to life, 
from, uh, from now on, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Think about that. That is such a powerful idea. We no longer regard anyone from an earthly, from a worldly point of view. Not the mail carrier, not our coworkers, not our neighbors, not our politicians, not our spouses, not our parents, not our enemies, not our friends, not black bodies, not brown bodies, not immigrant or immigrating bodies, not unborn bodies. We do not regard anyone from a worldly point of view. What a frame. See, if we were to view other people from a worldly point of view, that would mean that we would view them from our perspective. We would approach people with this question, what does that person do for me? How does their existence affect my life? Are they benefiting? Is there a way that I can benefit from their experiences? From a worldly point of view, we center ourselves. You get that? We center ourselves and our own perspectives of the world. We view history from our own perspective. We view different scenarios. We filter them through the the filter of our own politics. We judge people and groups of people and our experiences of them based on how they make us feel. A worldly perspective is a self-centered, is a Stephan-centered perspective. But Paul says, no, 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 not anymore. From now on, we regard people from a kingdom perspective. We regard people from a heavenly point of view. Not a point of view that centers ourselves and centers our own experiences, but a perspective that steps aside, out of the middle, out of the stage, and centers Jesus Christ and centers the other. I think Paul is begging us to see it in our mind. I think he wants us to picture it, to picture a future in our minds where we are trading in our shame and we're trading in our fear and our self-centering and our insecurity and we're bringing into a new focus and a new perspective a different way of looking at people and a different way of looking at the world, not from an earthly perspective, not from a worldly perspective, but from a kingdom perspective. And approaching people the way that Christ approaches us. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But who made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of of a slave. We're trading our alienation 
for a ministry of reconciliation. Now that even rhymes, okay? (laughs) We're trading in our alienation for a ministry of reconciliation. There's your frame for the Christian faith. We're trading in our alienation for a ministry of reconciliation. Anybody else sick and tired of alienation? Thank you. Sick and tired of it out there? Sick and tired of it in here? Anybody else sick and tired of alienation? I'm sick of it. What would it look like for you and for me if we showed up in our lives, if we showed up in our areas of expertise as ministers of reconciliation? With what God has placed in front of you, with what you have been called to do, with the little universe that makes up the 12 feet or whatever you want to say around you, in the things that make up your day, how can you see yourself as a minister of reconciliation? Maybe this is helpful. Uh, Paul gives us this fantastic image. It's in verse 20. He says, uh, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors for this ministry of reconciliation. That's such a great image. What if we thought of ourselves as ambassadors for the ministry of reconciliation? I read a commentator this week who shares something really helpful, and I'm passing it along to you. He asks a question about the different ways that people show up in their journeys. He says, he says do we show up in our journeys as terrorists, as tourists, or as ambassadors? It's a little bit extreme, but I think it's helpful. It's a little exaggerated, but do we, do we show up as terrorists, as tourists, or as ambassadors? Terrorists um, go to another place, and they destroy what they find there. Now, you and I don't deal in pipe bombs, but we do deal in passive-aggressive comments. What do passive-aggressive comments do to a community? What do passive-aggressive comments do to a relationship? Or a critical spirit, a really critical spirit. What does a critical spirit do to a community? It's terroristic. What does a really critical spirit do to a relationship? It's destructive. Those Those are weapons of alienation, of vicious anger that just right beneath the surface. What does that do to a community or to a a relationship? Those are weapons of alienation. Very often, we don't mean to do those things. We don't plan out our passive-aggressive comments. We don't schedule our temper tantrums. Very often they are involuntary actions, but it doesn't matter whether we're we're planning them or not. They are still powerful. So that's terrorists. What about tourists? Tourists aren't blowing anything up, right? 
But tourists are causing alienation in a subtler way, in a more subtle way. Tourists are all about their own consumption. Tourists are all about centering themselves. Tourists walk around with their maps and their fanny packs, and they're wondering how everything around them might bring them joy for a while. Can I have this? Can I touch that? Can I go there? Can I see that? Is that for me? Will this fit in my fanny pack? Tourists, don't get me wrong, I love being a tourist. (laughs) Tourists have a very self-centered perspective on the universe. And so there's no genuine interaction, right? There's no investment in a community. There's no real learning or bending, or compromising, or changing that happens. It's only consuming. It's only consuming. And what happens when a community of people is full of people who are only consuming? Alienation. I got a little terrorist in me, and I got a little tourist in me. But what I really want to be is an ambassador. Think about what an ambassador is. And this is from the text, right? An ambassador is someone who who comes with orders from the top. They have a job to do, and that job has been given to them. And they come with a prescribed set of goals and objectives. And they come to a place representing something else. And they come to a place representing something that is hopeful, something that is potentially beautiful, something that is collaborative, something that is communal-based. And they come to this place looking to grow something, looking to foster something that will benefit all parties. It's almost like An ambassador has kind of a dual citizenship, right? In these two different places where they have this, their their, their ultimate citizenship in this place that has sent them, but they're really investing themselves in the place where they have been sent. I wonder if we might say that Christ's ambassadors have dual citizenship in the world that is and in the world that is to come. And I wonder if that might be a helpful frame for the Christian faith for us. That we're citizens of heaven sent as ambassadors to earth. And by the power of Christ in the church, we're reconciling the two. So if we, as Christians want to be ambassadors, then our congregations need to be places of reconciliation. Our congregations need to be places where people come together from different places and from different mindsets, 
with different sets of values, with different understandings, and they find common ground together. So what do we do? We listen to the voices on the fringes. Especially those of us in a place of privilege. We decenter ourselves. What else do we do? We listen to critiques of the church without insecurity and without shame. And we stand first in line to recognize that we have glaring weaknesses and we muster the courage to listen to them and to respond to them and by God's Spirit to change because of them. We also don't sweep hard conversations under the rug. There's no reconciliation when we sweep hard conversations under the rug, even if they're going to be really difficult. We don't sugarcoat our version of history, and we don't center ourselves in the retelling of that history. And we embrace the conflict, and we embrace the change, and we embrace the struggle as part of our story of faith. Our story of faith will include all of those things, the change, and the conflict, and the struggle. If you're looking for something devoid of those things, you're going to have to find something different than Christianity. In a world that is so full of alienation, and I think we all agreed a bit ago, we are so sick of alienation. We are ambassadors in the ministry of reconciliation. I promise that's a cooler job description than anybody in this room has. We are ambassadors in the ministry of reconciliation. How's that for a job title? And this is the heart of the gospel. This is our frame for Christianity. This is what it means to follow Christ. We are ambassadors in the ministry of reconciliation in the power and strength of our Savior. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask you today for new wine in old wineskins. We ask you today for new breath to fill old bones. We ask you for the courage and strength and humility required of us to be ministers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors of the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you for your care. We thank you that you have blessed us with your spirit. We thank you that you have not given us a spirit of hopelessness or a spirit of resignation. We thank you for not calling us to just navel gaze, to spend time on ourselves, to be tourists or terrorists, but instead you call us to the mission of being ambassadors. 
Make us faithful to your cause, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.